0: they wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Tingling ling ling city desk pull the press, pull the press, extra, extra read all about it, it's a mess meets the test. Oh newspapermen meets such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press.
1: It's the Media Project, a weekly discussion about issues confronting the media. Hold on, stop the presses. Yeah. This is not the usual voice. Usually it's Rex Smith, but we're minus Rex today. We're minus Ira, Barbara, and Judy. And that means you get, well, me. Are we
2: qualified?
1: Oh boy, oh, well you're a regular And I'm a somewhat irregular I've already lost control of the show I'm David yeah. Gustino, the producer of the program With us today, another special guest Our news director, Ian Pickus hey, is joining hey. us
3: Hello, I'm the guy on the end of the bench Getting in in the 39th minute To drain a 3 when I'm down 20 That's my role today Perfect. I have well, no
2: idea what that
3: means <laughs> well, You don't have you, to know
1: Yeah, no need to know any more than that, Rosemary You know enough already Of course, that's Rosemary Armeo, Investigative journalist Adjunct professor at the University of albany and a really really happy person (laughs) i would say and then of course last but certainly not least wamc's ceo inventor of this program dr alan chartog alan we do this at least once maybe once every other year where nobody can come yeah somebody's flying through the air and hits the fan and I call you on a walk and say, what are we going to do? It makes you
2: feel really wanted, doesn't it?
4: Do <laughs> I'm just here to do my part. We have wonderful people. We have Ian Pickus, our wonderful news director. We have Rosemary, there's nobody better when it comes to discussing anything. And we have David. The
2: pressure. The pressure. pressure.
4: We have Speedy, Gustina. She's going to kick the ball around the court.
2: Well, That's all I'm going to do. It now. All let's right. Let's throw out a topic. You want a topic? Rosemary? I want a topic.
1: WAMC. Ah, was featured prominently this week in the Judiciary Committee's report that was released from the State Assembly in New York on Governor Cuomo's behavior in a number of different areas. Did somebody ask him something? Somebody named Alan Chartok. Let me read from the report, Alan, please. This is in the report, right? In the report, public statements by then-Governor Cuomo on July 10, 2020, the day the book auction was completed. The then-Governor told WAMC Northeast Public Radio with Alan Chartok, quote, I'm now thinking about writing a book about what we went through, lessons learned, the entire experience, because if we don't learn from this, then it will really compound the whole crisis that we've gone through. In subsequent public statements, the then-governor sought to downplay his personal gain from the book, for example, during a radio appearance on August 19th. Me again. Here you go. When asked if he got, quote, a lot of money for doing the book, the then-governor replied, well, only if I sell a lot of copies. When asked again how much money he would make, the then-governor continued to represent that, quote, it depends on sales. As noted, book sales account for only a portion of the former governor's revenue. We know that
3: he got over $5 million for the book. So, So, Ian, that was a lie, right? That's a word for it. And I have to say, in all of the Alan Andrew interviews, which I heard each one about three times, I was there for their birth and then their execution, and then their post-production each (laughs) time. And then their
4: execution, and then their execution.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That may have been your finest moment, and I'm glad it's getting a second life because you really pressed him on how much he was getting paid for the book, how he had time to write the book during this pandemic, And why he wouldn't say how much he was getting paid to do the book, all three of those issues ended up being of keen interest to the investigators working for the Assembly Judiciary Committee uh, impeachment probe. Uh, Here we are a couple of years later and, you know, we're still talking about it. So that two or three minute exchange had a long, long life.
1: Yeah, and let me just add to this, because Alan's relationship with the Cuomo is a long history here at WAMC, but in particular with this governor, he's able to have a rapport with him that others don't. And as he said to me this week on the air, I was joshing with the governor when I asked him some of these questions, right? and look what came out of it. It didn't come out of other, let's say, hard-hitting questions from other journalists. It came out of a unique relationship where a question was, how much money are you making for the book?
2: So, deserved praise, and I join in on it, except I have one nagging thought at the back of my head, which is, what is the lesson here for politicians? It's don't talk to journalists. It's don't expose yourself. Don't allow yourself to joke with them. Do not expose things that seem you know, joshing and fun at the time and come back and bite you in the mm-hmm. butt later. So I think it's really important for journalists to keep talking to politicians. And there's so much incentive for them not to talk back.
3: Could yeah. I disagree? No. <laughs> You're a newcomer. I'm, I'm new oh, to this yeah. show. Another lesson might be it's fine to josh and have a good time. If you're not saying publicly something different than what is privately true. And in this case, that's what former Governor Cuomo was doing. Um, And because we're talking this week during Thanksgiving, it brings to mind another Alan Andrew moment, which was when Alan said, hey, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? (laughs) And he said, oh, the family's coming over. Meantime, he's publicly telling New Yorkers don't get together for Thanksgiving. So Alan's approach of. You know, just having a conversation, David, you're absolutely right. It elicited some things we would not get from him in those red room conversations. But big picture, you know, Alan talks to a lot of politicians. I produce the Congressional Corner here. He's got that rapport with many of them, I think, and I hope this is true, Most of them aren't deceiving the public in the same way that Andrew Cuomo has been shown to have been.
4: I would like to just check in and give you all an insight into the way all of this that you're talking about happened. I was kidding around. (laughs) I mean, I wish I told you that I wanted to find out how much exactly how much money he was getting for that book. I was a little ticked off. I'd use the P word, but probably... Please don't do that. I'll I'll have to edit it. Yeah. I was a little ticked off because I had made nothing on the Me and Mario book. And it, it was a much, 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 one more, much better book uh, <laughs> than that piece of trash that Andrew put out or, or was in the process of putting out, for which he got $5 million. And the whole thing was that Andrew, psychologically, I'm going to give you an insight that you may not like, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Andrew was always competing with his father. Sure. Whatever the father had he wanted, whatever the father did, didn't have he wanted that too so his obsession with this fourth term that mario was denied became so important to him so if you knew that then you knew where to pull the strings because he would always go for that bait even though he denied it and told me i was full of freudian junk he was not kidding although he was so there you go i mean You know, journalists have access. You know that, Rosemary. Mm -hmm. You've done some wonderful work. And Rosemary has had more guts. She walked up to a guy who I believe is still under indictment. Facing jail time. He's
2: fighting fighting jail
4: time. Fighting jail time. And you walked in and you wanted an interview, and he gave it to you. He was
2: not very forthcoming, however. I would not call that one of my big successes. Yeah, but getting
4: in there was a success, and getting to talk to you was a success. Yeah,
2: being persistent is part of it, and I I think what you— pointed out is really true and that there's a certain way to interview that you have mastered. I've studied Alan's interviewing for a long time, so I know that that is true. But overall, the lesson for politicians is you really don't get an advantage talking to journalists. And the scary thing is that today, you don't have to. You can talk directly to people, as Trump did through Twitter, as Barack Obama did before him, although he doesn't get as much credit for it. He bypassed the regular mainstream media. And that does not bode well for us, because I'm afraid that for all the ballyhooing of citizen journalism they are not journalists. People don't talk to politicians the same way that journalists
4: do. I wanted to answer that in one way, and that is WAMC has a program. It's called the Congressional Corner. We try to interview a different congressman every single day, or they get three up, and then the next one comes on. And Ian does that and does it massively because he's got to round up all of them folks. Those folks don't get into trouble like Andrew did. And the reason they don't, uh, Rosemary, for whatever it's worth, is that they don't have his negative characteristics. I, Bravado, perhaps? Uh, well, yeah. but yeah, I,
2: It is true that the bad politicians are the ones who get in trouble. I keep thinking of Jesse Jackson in a relaxed, what he thought was a conversation, but it's never really a conversation with a journalist. And he spoke about New York as Town in front of a reporter that he thought of as a friend. And that reporter of course reported it because it's extremely important news when a black politician an eminent black politician is making anti-semitic comments I never forgot it the politician felt betrayed it hurt him and the lesson to him was you can't talk loosely around a journalist I'm sure we all have personal experience I was at a party when I was married with my husband's friends and the wife of one of his colleagues talked about a play that they were putting on wanted to put on at the Catholic high school here in town and it was fiddler on the roof and they wouldn't do it because it's a Jewish theme and she's talking about how upset she was about this that's a major news story I turned it into my newspaper and she never spoke to me again and did the newspaper print it of course they did it's (laughs) a huge story and and I don't regret the loss of that friendship because I'm a journalist so the story is everything but the lesson to her was don't trust any journalist and what was the lesson to you (laughs) listen carefully (laughs) Tradition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was Ian Pick WAMC's <laughs> news director, then Rosemary Armeo, investigative <laughs> journalist, UAlbany professor Alan Shartok, WAMC CEO. I'm David
4: Gustina, filling in for the missing projectors. It would be appropriate to point out that all four of us in this room have, in the past, had teaching responsibilities at the University of Albany. No question. Yeah, so it's our fault. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: apologize profusely. You can email us anytime at media at wamc.org. I just wanted to throw one other thing out about this report. So the report goes out from the Judiciary Committee. Who's going to read it? I mean... We want to feel like the journalism that we're doing reaches a lot of people and it's going to make change, perhaps, or they'll read the information and it will change their mind about someone or confirm their mind. But how many average everyday citizens, number one, care about politics, for example, and will
4: actually read this report? Oh, me, me. I know the answer. And the answer is that a lot of people heard about this. They may not have read the report, but they sure heard it on WAMC or read it in the Times Union or the Schenectady paper, the Gazette, the Independent Gazette of Schenectady, whatever. I hear Judy, Daily Gazette. (laughs) (laughs) Right, a fine newspaper. And what we see is that it is up to the journalists to take the gobbledygook that comes out of, you know, official channels and to turn it into whatever meaningfulness it has.
2: Yeah, I learned a long time ago as an investigative reporter that try as you might and try as you must to engage the public in what your work is. Not a lot of people are gonna read it, but the most important thing is to set the record, to have the record there. So Andrew will never run for office again without some journalist going through that whole report and knowing what people have found in the past. Isn't that also true for most of the books that are published too? People don't read them. They rely on the Joe Donahue's of the world to read them and to ask questions and to get out the word. It doesn't matter. The work is important, whether one person reads it. And the Assembly did something here that would not have happened, I think, if it had been a Republican control Senate, which was they opened up the record. They were transparent. That itself is really important. Every report done in that legislature, which is our body, should be public. On a fellow Democrat. Yeah.
3: Ian. Yeah, I think you're right that the average person's not going to read it. But I also think maybe part of our job is just to be there minding the store. And we're in a bubble, let's face it. I mean, we like politics and we like journalism and people who are obsessively following every twist and turn in the Cuomo scandals, you know, they're in a bubble too, compared to the average New York state resident who doesn't know anything about state government, let alone, you know, what Governor Cuomo is alleged to have done in the mansion on, on December of last year. But I think at the end of the day, they would like us to be there trying to call balls and strikes, whether they're going to digest every page of the report or not. Having someone there who is doing that work, I think you're finding out in these times just how important that is. You know, And a lot of the stuff that came out, both in the attorney general's report and in the assembly judiciary report, originated with journalistic investigation mm-hmm. you know that's how a lot of these investigations work you know the local FBI office reads something in the paper and then they start looking into absolutely things. Yep. and and I think yep. we've got to remember that I do
4: remember right. being on the train I've talked about this before coming up to Albany a much younger time for me and I saw a legislator with his assistant ripping out a piece from the paper and handing it to the assistant and saying draw me a bill on this <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean that's how it happens
1: yeah Absolutely. I've seen you doing interviews with doctors and asking them about a new procedure or some new study that's come out from a medical journal, and they stop you short and say, I'm sorry, I I, I don't know anything about that. I haven't read up on that. So the idea, I guess I'm getting at this information, you know, the information is power. This report does represent a significant amount of information. Mm -hmm. For example, a quote, from the governor himself, obviously in a deposition saying, I was inappropriate with the state trooper that they cite as part of the sexual harassment claims, essentially breaking the law that he
4: signed on sexual harassment. Well, I don't think it's too much to say that each of us in this radio station, because of the law he signed, have to take sexual classes.
2: Sexual classes? Mm-hmm. Well, I want in on sexual that. Sexual
4: harassment <laughs> training.
2: Yes. Okay. We have to, marriage. yes we, yeah, no. that was inappropriate. Sorry.
4: <laughs> sexual harassment training, indeed. And we have to do that because of the law that he signed. And one year I said to the guy who's the enforcer here, our guy Jordan Yoxel, I said to him, come on, do I have to listen to it all again? And he said, you absolutely do. The governor has demanded it. Oh, wow. So there you are. Well, I guess we'll move on from here and go to our next
1: topic, if you don't mind. Two Fox News channel contributors have quit, saying irresponsible voices have drowned out the responsible on the network. Jonah Goldberg and Stephen Hayes, who put out a newsletter called The Dispatch, have both been occasional analysts at Fox since 2009. He cited Tucker Carlson's Patriot Purge documentary on the January 6, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol as the last straw for them. They said some of Fox's opinion hosts have, quote, amplified the false claims and bizarre narratives of former President Donald Trump and offered some of their own. Fox did not have any comment on their claims. Carlson told the New York Times that their departure was great news.
2: Yeah, it would improve the station, he said. The contract wasn't going to be renewed anyway.
1: What do you make of this? Too little, too late?
2: Nice gesture, meaningless in its in its impact. In 2009, you could see where Fox was headed. They knew what they were getting into. I agree that Tucker Carlson seems to have just... I mean, he used to be an obnoxious conservative voice. Now he's just dangerous. And his involvement in the Rittenhouse trial was just unconscionable. I think it was dangerous. MSNBC got into trouble with the judge for doing far less than what Tucker Carlson did. His crews were there filming every minute of it. Even Rittenhouse's own lawyers objected to how how much access they were given now there's a look being taken at whether cameras belong in a courtroom which they definitely do definitely that is the heart of americans legal rights all because of tucker carlson who just put out this piece of, i haven't seen it all yet i really do have to watch that for educational purposes it's just a poison piece. Of, yeah it's just poisonous awful to say nothing
4: i just wanted to add on to what you're saying about cameras in the courtroom about one-third of the main institutions of government, the White House, the Congress, and the Supreme Court. And we still can't see these people giving their opinions from the Supreme Court of the United States. We finally can listen to what they said, but only after the fact. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. That has long been um, just a terrible lapse in access to government. Freedom of information covers only the executive branch. We actually don't have the right to see a whole lot of what goes on in Congress because of our lax laws but the judge now in the Rittenhouse case is saying he's deciding whether he wants to just ban cameras altogether. I don't understand it him that. Because the like a fool. He, his, his reasoning is that the media spins things. So his idea is to shut out the media. <laughs> that means he gets to spin things. And some of his rulings were questionable enough that you can see why the public really does have to be in there.
4: In fact, Rosemary, one day he got into that well-known fight now with the prosecutor. Yes. And he did not come out smelling like a rose. And wasn't that one of the other arguments, that the judge and the prosecutor and the defense would
1: play to the camera if you had cameras in the courtroom, and that Mm -hmm. would change the dynamic of a trial? Ian, any thoughts on any of this?
3: I want to go back to Fox for a second, because I'm hearing Alan quoting Claude Raines saying he's shocked, shocked to find gambling going Mm -hmm. on here. Look, if you're seeing the light about what Fox News does in terms of news and opinion, in november of 2021 i can't give you a ton of credit for that (laughs) let's be real but i am fascinated by fox news and there's been a blurring since it was founded in the mid-90s between what we do in our news is separate from what we do on our opinion shows and it's increasingly difficult to make that case Mm -hmm. and you look at a guy like tucker carlson who's their highest rated performer Um, He has incredible sway over millions of Americans and the right in this country. And to say, well, our news is our news and our opinion is our opinion. Meantime, these opinion shows are coming as close as we've ever seen to toppling the American democracy. I can understand why these more sort of Bush era conservatives have quit the channel, but it's a little late. And the top guys, I mean, I never heard of these guys before they they
2: quit. The top guys in news supposedly went to Murdoch, the owner of Fox, to talk about the situation, but they're refusing to talk about it. Apparently, has had no sway over Murdoch himself. And that's exactly right. I mean, Tucker Carlson, that was not opinion. He calls it a documentary on the Rittenhouse trial and case. That's not commentary. At the very, very least, it's fraudulent. And people don't know the difference. These regular people who don't read the congressional reports and the legislative reports also don't know the difference, as we news junkies do, between opinion and true news reporting. And
3: disinformation. and oh, yeah, and definitely. And then, you know, you don't have to go back very far to see a White House that was corresponding with Sean Hannity on a nightly basis, phone calls, and then he's going on to do a, a highly rated show to parrot talking points or whatever. So I think, yeah, you know, to say today... Boy, Fox has gone too far. I mean, this is the business model. This is what they do. They've perfected it.
1: Yeah, even grabbing journalists and bringing them into the administration.
2: You take a look at the code of ethics of the Society of Professional Journalists, and Fox is in trouble on nearly every one of them. (laughs) I don't think they have those hanging up there. They don't. No. Accuracy. Forget about it. Independence. (laughs) Sean Hannity was working for the White House. Do no harm. Minimize harm. Minimize harm. I had to play Rex Smith for just a moment. Yeah, you had to
1: play Rex Smith. Minimize harm.
2: But they have helped to uh, disinform, not just keep them uninformed, but to disinform the electorate and and has helped to fuel uh, an insurrection. So there's no way that that behavior is ethical or good journalism.
3: It's the many people are saying model that Fox was patenting 15 years before Trump was on the national stage. Yes.
1: Well, what about these books on journalistic books and withholding information? What about this article? And we'll start with Jonathan Carl's book, Betrayal, the Final Act of the Trump Show. Of course, Washington correspondent for ABC News. He chronicles the post election intrigue inside the White House. In his book, Carl details a New Year's Eve memo written by Jenna Ellis, a legal advisor to the Trump campaign, and how Trump might be able to reject the results of the election and have Mike Pence declare him the winner, a new Trump revelation that has since driven a short memo-focused news cycle. There was also that memo, if you remember, with Woodward and Costa's book, Peril, with John Eastman. So now you have these memos. We learn about them later, not at the time, and there's a question of, should they have been reported when it happened, rather than saved for the publication Of the book Steve Inskeep from NPR talked about this and talked about context and investigations take time and it's not to file stories instantly on every incremental bit baloney
2: it's unclear to me whether these reporters actually knew ie could prove had evidence in order to publish at the time if they truly did only find out and nail it down after the fact I forgive them but if they knew at the time that this was happening and they said oh juicy detail I'll withhold this from my book they're not journalists they're not good Americans even journalism is timely that means you print it when you have it the minute you've got all the evidence and it's vetted and you can stand by it you put it in the paper put it on the air put it on the internet and they did not do that so I think it all has to do with the very thing we've been talking about all through this program which is trying to reach regular people and they're thinking oh if I write a book I'll reach more of the ordinary people and it isn't happening you're not reaching the people who could maybe do something about it and their books are not selling that great anyway. Well, that's what I was going to say. Great, great they great want to write a
4: book sales. to make money, right? Yeah.
3: Well, that's you what Andrew Cuomo found out. You know, with the Woodward case, it was in his interest to keep talking to President Trump after that early statement about, you know, the virus is much worse. It spread through the air and we didn't know that yet. I think Steve Inskeep made a good point, which was that you don't always know in the time that this particular nugget is going to be so So important important later. And I think that is a fair point. But I'm with Rosemary on this. You know, in this newsroom, we're doing not just daily news. We're doing news by the half hour here at at (laughs) WAMC. And anything that we can get buttoned down... It's on our website. It's on the air immediately. I can't even imagine a situation where I would have uncovered something that seems to be important and sit on it for six months to a year for for something. Because it's so hard to nail down information uh, we've been talking about on this show. Reporting isn't easy. And when you've got something that no one else has, uh, you've got to get it out. Two weekends ago, you know, I spent several hours on the phone with one of our reporters on an exclusive that WAMC had gotten about the attorney general investigating the Saratoga Springs Police Department over how it's dealt with protesters in that city. And we knew that we had to get it out the second we had it. Sure enough, the next day, two of our competitors had it in their outlets. So we only had a few hours to be first. I would, and I think if you're, you know, on a book contract and you're like, trying to save that juicy piece of information for a year from now, I don't see how you can justify that to your actual employer that's paying for your health insurance. So I have a question for you guys, and that is
4: how important is being first?
2: I don't think it's as important as it used to be or maybe never as important as journalists felt it would be. But the competition, that is, we have to race to be first, that is very good because it made your reporters work much harder to know that there was someone right on your tail. So I, I think that's the point there. I think some of these journalists, because journalism is so unstable right now, I think they've switched into a different career, which is historian. And there is a place for that where a year later, you look back at every you covered in the Trump campaign. I think there's a real place for that, but it's not journalism, and I think they're making some bad decisions about what to withhold for their book and what to come out with at the time. Right.
1: Of course, there's the 24-hour news cycle and the problems associated with breaking news. We often have false information that has to be corrected later, but it's not the same as what Ian's saying, which is getting the exclusive, confirming it, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and then running with the story all while people are judging you
4: at any mistake that you make at any moment. And then getting a job at a PR firm for three times (laughs) (laughs) the amount of money. Well, well, then there's the pay. I just want to say it's our special Thanksgiving show with some special people, and I want to thank you all. Rosemary and Ian and David, of course. I enjoyed this program immensely. It's just
3: good. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to be the stuffing.
1: You made me more than the stuffing after this. Ian Pickus, WAMC's news director, Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist, happy go-lucky professor from the University of Always Albany, optimistic. WAMC CEO Alan Shartok. and a big thank you to all of you for listening to the Media Project.
0: Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ding-a-ling, now newspaper men are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance But finally, the movies notwithstanding They all got tired of patches on their pants they organize the union together.
1: The Media to Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC. Rosemary Armeo Mayo is an investigative journalist and professor at the University at Albany. Ian Pickus is WAMC's news director. And I'm David Gastida, host of Morning Edition on WAMC and producer of The Media Project. You can find out more or schedule a podcast at WAMC.org or just download the free WAMC see app from the play store for your iphone or android and listen to the media project anytime their anywhere thanks for listening thing.
0: they claim to represent the common people it's funny wall street never has complained ah but publishers have worries for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough now publishers are such interesting people it could be prostitution, I don't know. ting a ling ling circulation, ting a ling ling advertising. Get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press.